is today? Today? It is Wednesday, my dude. This is gonna be great! <laughs> Hello, everybody! Hope you are doing well. I am doing just fine. Um, I want to kind of jump right into this. I uh, recently heard this. Dr. Phil was asked, what is happening to the world that led us here? Because we are in some wild times, right? So Dr. Phil, in his kind of explanation, he said um, that in 2008, all of a sudden, someone started having smartphones. Like, he said there was like, everybody started getting smartphones and devices. And he said, at some point, social media started, and, and we all kind of got hooked on it. And everyone started watching other people's lives instead of living their own. Now, this is probably one of the most profound statements I've heard from Dr. Phil. And got me thinking. I mean, I agree with them for sure, but there's something else. Um, I think this phenomena of people watching other people's lives, which by the way, is very prevalent somehow is separated. It's, it's like taking the viewers of people's lives and separated them into two categories. And the one, the first category would be people who watch other people's lives instead of living their own like Dr. Phil described, they're like the exact one. And number two, the people who watch other people's lives but also become motivated to live their best life, to pursue a better life. Now, the people who are watching everyone else live instead of living their own life seem to be content with what they have. I mean, I'm talking about even if it's not great, if it's not good, and or they have just decided that they, they can't or won't do what others do. They don't want to put in the put forth the effort or don't believe they should even have to work for those things. I mean, I just saw a video that's been going around of a Starbucks barista having a breakdown because working eight and a half hours is too much. I'm going to play that for you right now. Uh, it's about a minute long, maybe a little bit longer, but it is well worth it. All right, so check this out. People wonder why we need a union at Starbucks, and I am literally about to quit. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it, but, like, I really want to. I almost walked out today, and I'm crying in the back room right now, and I almost cut on the floor. It's just... <laughs> I like I get I'm like a full time student. I get scheduled for 25 hours a week, and then on weekends they schedule me the entire day open to close. I'm on the schedule for eight and a half hours, both Saturday and Sunday. I'm like three and a half hours into my shift. There's so many customers, and we have four people on the floor all day. <laughs> Only five people were put on the schedule, and somebody had to call out. And there are four people running the whole store, and there's so many customers, and there's possibly scheduled five people. <laughs> we only have 13 people employed at this store, and there's so many customers. And they're gonna go. 
we don't have fair scheduling. Managers don't care about us. Our manager was supposed to come in this weekend, and he took himself off the schedule, so he wouldn't be able to be held accountable for calling out. He just literally tore down the schedule that he was scheduled on and put up a new schedule where he wasn't on the schedule. Also, he couldn't have even seen that he was scheduled in the first place because he didn't want to be held accountable for not wanting to come in. <laughs> they don't want to help us. We need a union because this can't happen. This can't happen. We need fair scheduling. We need managers to hold themselves accountable for helping their workers. They refuse to turn mobile orders off. We need the liberty to be able to do that because there's so many mobile orders and I need to get through all of them. And then people are yelling at me because I don't have their orders ready. <laughs> now, I've been working in some form or other since I was 12, starting cutting grass. Uh, or, but when I was old enough to get an actual paycheck, I was working for my grandpa at the car at his car wash that he ran. Um, and there'd be times. So, so when we're talking about this breakdown that the barista had, he's overwhelmed by the circumstance. It seems like, first of all, he doesn't want to work eight and a half. Or is it a he? Is it a girl? I don't know what it is. What this individual is, but um, it's so busy and people are mad at him, right? So there's times I worked at the car wash. I was young. My grandpa ran it that it would be a rainy day and the, the car wash stays open, even though no one's going to come in the rain. So he would send everybody home, but me, which did annoy me. Like I want to go home sometimes, but no, I always stayed. And then guess what would happen a little bit later? The, the, the rain would go away. The sun would come out. Then we would have a line of cars around the block waiting to get into the car wash. So I would have to like just be me and my grandpa. We'd both be in back vacuuming out cars. He'd take the car, put it on the line because this was an automatic car wash. You send it through. We, we vacuum it for you, then we dried it off. So I would help vacuum. Grandpa would put the car on the line. I would run in, go to the cash register, ring them out, take the money, all that stuff. Then we would both run down to the other end, dry off the whole car, get inside, do the windows, door jams, make it look good because there's still uh, expectation of quality that you're getting, right? And it would irritate me so much because it was so much more work. And I'd be like, can you just keep some people here? But no, because you're not going to pay people to sit around and do nothing. But did I, did I get angry? Yeah. Did I get irritated? Of course. Was I frustrated? Absolutely. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't hide in the back somewhere and cry about it. And demand a union. Demand fair scheduling. What is fair scheduling? I didn't demand my feelings come before anything else. But you know what those days did for me? It taught me that hard work pays off. It taught me that hard work builds character. By the way, the, the in that video, the individual who's having the meltdown because, you know, work is hard is angry that the manager scheduled himself off. Well, the boss can schedule themselves wherever and whenever they want. It's kind of the perk of being the boss. I mean, if we're really, I mean, that's, that's what you do as a boss. But, Lord knows the world in which we live in today helps promote these people's skewed viewpoints. And it's often celebrated. The world is more concerned with feelings rather than common sense and hard work. And this is a major concern that I have in this country right now. 
The good news for me though, is this video that I just shared is going around and has become viral, but not for what it was intended to become viral for. This individual who made the video was trying to, you know, rally the troops, get some sympathy, some comfort, some support for the cause. But it backfired because where I saw it on the Twitter feed was uh, from a, uh, a user called Clown World, where, you know, the name kind of says it all. Now, I talked about these two groups. The second group that I mentioned, you know, the people who watch others but are motivated to live their best life, are not content with their current situation. They strive to make a better life for themselves and their families and are willing to put in the hard work to do it. Now, unfortunately, this group is a small group that seems to be getting smaller and smaller by the day. Now, of course, there can be cases of this going too far, focusing more on money and fame and power and, and success, and it could lead them to their detriment. And of course, I know that there are exceptions to, to both sides uh, of, and both aspects of these two groups. But then I start thinking about what motivates people? What motivates me? Or what motivated me in my younger years? What was my main motivation or my, my motivating factor in life? And, and after I think about it, I think I was really motivated by the naysayers, if, if I'm being honest. Like, if you told me I couldn't do something, well, you just lit a fire under me and I will go to every extreme to prove you wrong. And, and I'll give you a couple examples. When I was younger, I loved playing basketball. I played all the time. Like, seriously, all the time. My grandpa put up a basketball hoop in our cul-de-sac. We lived outside this town called Ottawa, kind of like a little bit out in the country, not terribly far, but a little out in the country. And um, the only people who played on the soup were me, if I had any friends over, and our neighbor, Gary. Now, Gary was older than me, I think. So I was probably in, like, sixth grade when we started playing. He was uh, late 20s, something like that. Um, and he would play with me and he would kick my tail every single day, day in, day out. I was stacking up the L's and I would get so frustrated day after day, year after year. I would get angry. I would yell. I would grab the ball and punt it. I would throw fits and run around. It was, I had a temper. I still have temper, but it was bad, right? Because I have to beat him. And my grandparents would be like, maybe you shouldn't play Gary anymore. No, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to play. There will be a day that I win. And I would say that to him. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to beat you one of these days. And he would be like, maybe when I'm in a wheelchair. He loved that I would get frustrated and irritated. And, and he gave, there was no way Gary was going to let me win ever. And, uh, and so, but that, not only did I want to play him every day and try to win, but when he wasn't there, I was out there practicing. I was out there shooting. I was working on moves. I was, you know, like, this was my goal. I'm going to beat Gary. And then one day, I finally won. Then I won again and again. And pretty soon, Gary didn't play anymore. But I had made it my mission to beat him, even though he said I never would. 
By the way, I was so obsessed with basketball. I loved it so much that in my car at all times, I had a basketball, basketball shoes, a change of clothes. I had something to drink right there because you never knew when a pickup game was going to break out. I would cruise. You know, a lot of people cruise around town for looking for chicks or whatever. No, I cruised around looking for pickup games. I know, it's weird, but loved it. Anyways, here's another example that I'm pretty proud of. Uh, ever since I was little, I said I was going to be in music. I started. It started with my love of Michael Jackson, Prince, and George Michael in the 80s. And I would just get excited thinking about the day that I was going to be able to do what they did. And, and I'd maintained that idea all throughout my, my high school career. Uh, but, it, but in my, here's, here's the down, in, in high school, my grades, pretty terrible. Because I didn't like homework. I didn't want to do homework. And I really didn't do homework. Because it, it was like this. I could get home and I have all this homework. And uh, I have two options. I could do the homework for the next couple hours, right? That that's a, that's a possibility. Or I could play basketball for a few hours. I could play drums for an hour. Then I can go to a room, play a little guitar, listen to some music. So like, which way am I going to spend my day? Up, oh, up. Oh, it seems like it always went to the basketball and music. But every time report cards came out, my grandparents would be so frustrated with me. They would get on my case and ask, like, what are you going to do with your life with these grades? You can't do anything. You're not even going to be able to get into college. And I'd be like, well, that's fine because I'm going to be a musician. And they always say, like, you know how hard it is to become a musician? You know what the odds are? It's like half of a half a percent of the people can actually make it in the music business. You need to focus on school so you can have a real career. But I just wanted them to support me instead of telling me how hard it was. Maybe to help me get where I needed to go. Now, in their defense, my grandpa did build me a room for my drums and a place for when my band came over to practice, and they did allow me to do all that. But they did always think the music that I made was bad. I mean, it was probably pretty bad in high school, but you got to start somewhere. My grandma actually said that I ruined music for her. Now, now let that sink in. I ruined music for her. I ruined an entire art for her. It's pretty funny, though. But because like, that's an accomplishment to ruin something that universally is loved. Eh, what can you do? But back to school. The arguments over my grades went on every semester, every year. My grades never got much better. And... The answers that I have when they're like, why, why won't you just do stuff? Why won't you do better? My answer was, uh, it never changed. I would say, my grades don't matter because who knows what Elvis's grades were? Who knows what Prince's grades were? No one says you can't play drums or guitar in this band because you have to have a certain GPA. Maybe at Berkeley they do, but guess what? I never wanted to go to Berkeley anyways, so hmm, take that. But... Even after high school, how I got out of high school, who knows? Really, it's a, it's a mystery to me to this day. I think they just didn't want to see me around anymore. Um, so after high school, after college, they still pushed me to do other things like sales and retail and real estate. 
or whatever. And even when I started making a little money doing music, it was always like, why are you still playing out with these bands? You need to focus on your job. You need to you need to buckle down. All that like all that same stuff. Focus on your career, on your job. It's too hard to make it music. And guess what? It's still lit a fire under me. And look at me now. Like I have had a music a career in music and I'm currently a worship pastor where my focus is music. I did it. And to be honest with you, I'm pretty darn proud of that. Even in, in ministry over the past 10 years, I've had more than a few people say that I couldn't do this because I wasn't good a good enough singer. I wasn't a good enough musician. My style was wrong. All kinds of stuff like that. But it never made me say, you know what, you're probably right. No, I'm like, oh, watch. I'm going to do it then. But that just made me want to do it even more and prove them wrong. Now I'm in a church where I have a great team who accepts, accepts me as the worship pastor and who's become like family to me. But in these examples of me wanting to prove myself and defy the odds, I can't help but wonder, is it a normal or a rare quality? I mean, I see what motivates people for the most part money right but what else how about maybe respect of your peers sure but but i think that one thing is missing what about pride in your work do do you find it harder and harder to find people putting forth the effort to do their jobs having pride in their work I mean, I know fast food service has always been a crapshoot when in, when it comes to service. You get what you get. But nowadays, you're lucky if your order is even correct because they sure don't care if it is or not. And I, and I know that there are people out there that do, that have this amazing pride in their work. Like my buddy Mike Miltimore from River Song Guitars. He loves making guitars, innovating guitars, talking about guitars. As much, if not more, than I love playing and collecting guitars. and But I see his passion. And I, I see the joy he gets from it. And I think that's lacking in so many people. And I wish more people could have that passion in their jobs. Now, here's the thing. I know that most people probably don't like their jobs. And trust me, I've had many jobs that I didn't like. But at the same time, I always wanted to do those jobs to the best of my ability. My work is always a reflection of me. Regardless if I love or hate that job, I want to do the best I could. Is that gone nowadays? I've been around a lot of young people over the past 10 years because I help in youth ministry and all that. And and I'm going to be honest with you. It seems that it is missing. I absolutely love my job as a worship pastor. I love that I get the opportunity to lead a team of musicians and tech volunteers. I love that ultimately I'm serving the Lord, leading his people. But it can also be pretty frustrating. So let's just take a look at a worship band musician. If I am to motivate that musician to do the best they can, I number one, I'm not offering money. Uh, I can't offer any fame or recognition because that is so not the reason to be a worship on the worship team. So what would motivate them to work harder or to be better? Now, you would hope one of the major motivational aspects would be to not suck when you get on stage. 
Um, I think you want to play well and not screw up. But if that was the case, wouldn't you show up more prepared and ready to nail these songs? Now, I I want to I, I need to make a disclaimer here right now that I am actually not talking about anyone on my worship team currently. I think they do a great job. I'm talking in a general sense of the worship team. When unlike a lot of times we say now in church, big C, you know, like churches across the country. So I'm talking about worship teams across the country. So whoever is listening, if you're on the worship team, just relax. I don't I don't have any issues with you. Or do I? I'm just kidding. Unless I'm not. I don't know. But so many worship teams have people who show up for rehearsal without practicing the song, without even really knowing the song, without putting any real effort into it. And you'd think that I don't know, but trust me, I know. In other teams, the worship pastor, they know too when you're coasting and you haven't been prepared. It's, it's, it's evident. You may not think so. It's true. Now, working at a church in ministry, we have something that is so amazing. But that one super amazing thing that I love, that I need, can also be the most frustrating. So the, the best, most awesome thing we have and are given is grace, obviously. But that grace is so often used as a crutch. People will think, I'm just a volunteer and I'm playing at church. You can't get mad or frustrated with me. I'm not a professional musician like you. You can't get mad at me because we're supposed to have grace. I need grace, 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 grace. And it's true. And you're right. Scripture says if someone wrongs you seven times a day, forgive them seven times. But in my career of playing in bands, and different bands of all levels of success. I've always made it a priority to be prepared before practice or rehearsal. I've gotten into a lot of arguments uh, with different bandmates for trying to hold them accountable throughout the years. Because if we make a plan to to play in a band, you better be putting in the work too. And I don't want to be in an okay band or even a a band that's pretty good. I want to be in a great band and I don't want to accept good enough. I don't want to hear excuses of why you couldn't get something done. Oh, I didn't have the time. Guess what? I didn't have the time doesn't work for me. If I make a commitment to learn a song or a set of songs and for some reason life happens, I get sick, I lose focus, and, and then there happens to be, I happen to be running out of time. Well, I guess I won't sleep and I'll stay up all night to learn it and follow through on my commitment. They're 24 hours in a day. Use them wisely. But where is that drive? That motivation in others? It's so easy nowadays to just make excuses. I didn't just want to make it in music to prove people wrong. I didn't want to do it for the money. I didn't want to do it for the girls. Although, if I'm being honest, that was a big selling point. Like, I mean, there's a lot of girls who like musicians. I'm like, I am in. 
But anyways, I did it for the love of music, and I want to be a part of something amazing. In, in my favorite movie of all time, School of Rock, one of my favorite quotes is, one great rock show can change the world. And I loved that. I believe that. Guess what? I, I still believe that. Now, I don't necessarily think one rock show can literally change the world, but I believe a worship service, which I use rock music for the most part, can change your day. And in that day, that Sunday or whatever it is, you can be changed enough to share the gospel with someone which could change their life forever. And that can happen over and over in churches all over the world to people in every country. And that can change the world. I want more people to see and feel that. I want them to stop looking at volunteering on the worship team as a task or a job. I want them to stop making serving an excuse to just get out of sitting in the auditorium and hearing the message. In 1 Corinthians 15 58, it says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I want people to see the gravity of what we are doing. I want people to say to themselves when they receive a notification, This week I will serve and I will give everything that I have to prepare and glorify our God. This is important. I want people to stop accepting good enough and focus on what they can do to contribute to excellence for our Lord. I want more people to lift up others and motivate them to want to do better. I want, to, I want people to push through laziness, push through not feeling like practicing, push through procrastination, because God isn't giving us any less than all of him to us. As Pastor Tim used to say, if God doesn't do anything more for me for the rest of my life, he's already done more than I've ever deserved. And I keep thinking, what a day it will be when everyone shows up on a Sunday morning knowing every single song, every transition, every nuance from stage to the tech team, and we all put 100% of ourselves into praising and worshiping God. That will be an amazing day. Now, if you're listening, you don't have, you're not a musician or anything, you might think, yeah, I wish those worship musicians did all those things like you said, Pastor Adam, and I'll be praying for you. But I just use the worship team as an example. The question of motivation can be asked of you too. From the non-believer to the occasional church attender to the regular core church group. What can motivate you to to give him more? What can motivate you to serve more? What can motivate you to take Jesus and his bride, the church, more seriously? I mean, a couple weeks ago, we sent out about 300 emails to our regular attenders, people who we see on a weekly basis for the most part, about becoming members. Now, these are all people that are not currently members, but they still show up every week. Of those 300 emails that we sent out, we've had 10 sign up for the new membership class. And you can't say you didn't hear about it because for the last few weeks, uh, we played a funny video with a short explanation as to why you should want to become a member. I've talked about it on stage, yet seemingly no motivation. Uh, we've had baptism coming up in a few weeks and something that is so important to our faith. Been playing videos for that, been talking about that for weeks. Uh, one baptism sign up 
no motivation, it seems. I, here's another thing. I've been talking at length for four weeks about Tailgate Saturday, the event that we're having here at our church. Uh, I've tried to make it funny. I've had made it conversational. I've always explained what we're doing and why we're doing it. Yet, I get people coming up to me asking me what Tailgate Saturday is all about. And I'm like, I mean, I literally just talked about it to you from the stage. The problem is you're not listening. And it's and, and I'm using the tailgate as a as a example, but there's so many other things. Like it makes me wonder, are you even listening to the messages? Are you just checking a box that you're here in a building so it counts? I don't know. But I know. I work for a church. I have to have grace. Grace, grace, grace. And I do give grace. I do understand somewhat, but I think a lot of that grace just gives you an excuse to continue doing what you want to do. I think maybe sometimes you need a wake-up call. You need some accountability. You need someone to, as my friend Jim Prowse would say, lay the wood to you. But in reality, I can't make you attend church regularly. I can't make you want to grow your faith. I can't make you attend events, serve in the church, take it seriously, or make you want to take the next step in your faith walk. I, I can't make you want to share the gospel with others. And it not only frustrates me, but it, but it makes me sad. Because if knowing, learning about, growing closer to our Creator, our Savior, our Father in Heaven who promise us, promises us eternity in Heaven, after we die, doesn't motivate you, then what will? I know I certainly can't. But luckily, I know it doesn't only rely on me or any other pastor, director, minister, deacon, or elder. God has to intervene. He has to take hold of your heart because it's something that I can't do. Now, if we circle back to Dr. Phil... What he said earlier, that when I, the quote that I told you, um, he was also asked, what can we do to fix the world? Now, I can't say he has the answer. But I think we can find it right here in Second Chronicles. So Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Keep that scripture in mind and I will see you next time.